right, folks. We're coming to you with an alternate beginning today because today, as we all know, is opening day number two. And right now, the D-backs have a 0-0 ball game in the bottom of the sixth. Mad Bum is coming over. He's delivering everything that was promised. It's 3-2. Runners on second and third. Two outs. Jerks and Profar at the dish wearing my old number, number 10. Here it comes. The payoff pitch. A lazy pop-up just out of play. He got lucky. Oh, no. I thought you were going to have to get out of that. Unfortunately, I do not have the MLB TV subscription yeah. like air. Yeah. So I'm stuck only watching the, the ESPN game, which is angels versus the Oakland days right now. It's, it's a fun game. I think Aaron has it up as well. So I do. if anything, if anything fun happens in this game, such as uh, trout home run, we might, uh, we might give it a shout out. That's right. And show that's it. just a just taste a, guys. That's just a taste guys, okay. because we have a bunch of games up right now you know i'm personally cycling through about five games going in order of lateness in the game you know and obviously how good of a game it is but since it's opening day we want to do something a little special and we're just going to be calling things out as they happen um throughout the episode but we do have an episode for you um that we're going to get into right after i give you guys the uh play-by-play here so mad bums come and set still three two two runners on bottom of the six two outs he delivers to Jerks and Profar just inside, absolutely robbed, and now the bases are chucked. So, um, okay. Well, while Aaron continues to follow the developing situation in Arizona, uh, what we're going to be talking about today is just some news. We're going to give you our thoughts on the on the on the players and owners agreeing at the last second to change to a sixteen team playoff for the season. There's been a lot of injury news that's worth covering. And then we're just going to talk about, you know, what's happened on opening day so far, what our thoughts have been. And finally, you know, you guys are going to have a chance to learn from a master, a back-to-back champion like the man who just dealt at 4 p.m. ET today for the match. <laughs> Aaron, like DeGrom, is a back-to-back winner, but not of the Cy Young, of his fantasy baseball league. He just had his draft for the season, and we're going to cover some of the draft picks he made. And let me say, guys, he's a great fantasy player. He would be even better in previous years if he listened to my advice, and he listened to some of my advice this year. So 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 watch out, folks. Watch out. And uh, for those of you keeping up, it's now 0-2 on Hosmer. Sam knows Hosmer well. Um, if Sam knows Hosmer, he's going to find a way to bleed a broken bat single into the outfield here, score three somehow. That is, that's the story of the 2015 World Series, and I'm still bitter. So let's just come right off the bat um, with some news. I think, obviously, the first thing to talk about here is the 16-team playoff, Sam. We've mentioned this on the, on the pod before. You and I are both in agreement, because we know how statistics work, that a... 16-team playoff is incredibly unfair to teams who perform well during the regular season because the variance in outcomes for three and five game and even seven game sets is so, so much larger than it is in the 162-game season. Oh, no. Somebody get that ball. Oh, no. Eric Hosmer to the wall. That's the first ball he's ever hit to the wall, and three are going to score unless Nick can throw him out. Oh no! Oh, so any anyway, I'm sorry that you guys had to hear that. I may uh, I may mute that game for the rest of the time, but so we are both in agreement that this is just a terrible system. This expanded playoffs. However, I will concede, and I don't know if you will, so I'd love to hear your thoughts, Sam. But I'll concede that for a 60 game season, I'm kind of just like, whatever, you know. As long as this doesn't stick, I'm okay with it for this year. I I feel pretty similarly to you. You know, as long as MLB doesn't use this as an excuse to make the playoffs a joke going forward in baseball. Right. Exactly. Like, whatever. Let them recoup some of their revenue this year. I won't lie that when I saw the Mets playoff odds go from 44% to 70% on fan graphs, I didn't feel a little mm-hmm. happy about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is good for t- teams that are, con- you know, sort of borderline contenders like the Mets and, and Diamondbacks who – would have been in a dogfight for a wildcard position and now have a very good chance of making the playoffs. It's going to make the season more exciting for every fan because, like, literally there's probably, like, maybe the Orioles will be out of this thing with two weeks left. But, like, 
it, it maybe they won't be right. like maybe literally all 30 teams will have an outside shot at making the playoffs with two weeks left. It's going to make the season exciting. I will say like when the, when the twins lose a three game series to the blue Jays in the first round, I'm going to be like, this is an absolute joke. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's but, almost inevitably going to happen guys. I think that's worth noting is that it's almost a guarantee that in the first round of the playoffs, one of the juggernauts, you know, whether it's the Yankees, the Astros, the Twins, the Dodgers, um, the the anybody really, they are gonna go down to some third rate team um, because that's just the way it works. It's a three game set. I mean, we three games. right. We saw the Marlins take it to the Phillies today, five to two, behind a ridiculous pitching performance by Sandy Alcantara, by the way, and. What does that tell me? Absolutely nothing. The Phillies are still a better team, but at the end of the day, if this is a three-game series, they're in the driver's seat. All they have to do is accidentally win one baseball game. So we're going to see it. We need to be prepared for it, but you know, let's hope that it just sticks to this year and then everything will be okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm in total agreement there. So, you know, one year, I'm fine with it. If it's more than one year, I think it's a disaster. Yep, yep. So beyond our 16-team playoff, I guess the next biggest just like general baseball news is that we have this super weird situation going on with the Blue Jays. So the Canadian government is saying you cannot travel in and out of the U.S., which is like a third world country in terms of handling COVID-19 and play in Toronto. That's just not going to happen because it's a public safety hazard. I totally understand where they're coming from. Um, but that puts the Blue Jays in a really difficult spot because they have to find a place to play. It broke earlier today that they would actually be playing most of their home games in Buffalo, a triple A stadium where their affiliate is. This is super disappointing yeah, and super poor, tough for the, the Blue, Jays. Blue Jays. The poor Blue Jays have to spend the next two months in Buffalo. But um, And that's not even the worst part of it, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I you know their their facilities are going to be worse. It's going to be tough on them being away from their families, likely. So it's it, it's going to be a, a a a hard season for the Blue Jays. But I mean, I think you know this this was going to be expected that that some crazy things were going to happen. Some teams are going to go through hardships, mm-hmm. and you know at this point, I'm just taking you know I'm I'm taking what I can get as far as like I don't know if this thing's going to finish, but. But let's let's get what we can out of this year so far. Boy, boy of the last two days has been a lot. Of fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I mean, I I I am just feeling so good right now after Mets opening day. Oh, you have to. That was a beautiful game too. Just an amazing game to watch. I basically cut work early today to just watch baseball, and that was such a rewarding treat. To your point, Sam, of you know, is this going to continue? There's a whole slew of COVID-19 cases, but also DL placements that now that we're in the season, we need to inform you guys about. So some guys that hit the DL, Jake Odorizzi, Cole Hamels, Marcus Stroman, uh, Flowers, the catcher from uh, the Braves, who I can't remember his first name, and Travis Darno, the Braves' other catcher, both hit the DL today. Um, and that and Jose Quintana. And, and, yeah, and Quintana. Um and I'm sure that I'm sure we're missing some other guys. The point is there's been a big of a rash of injuries uh, to start the season, I think. And I think the, the, the thing about injuries this season is, you know, you could talk about a month injury and you've missed half the season. Like any injury at all is a, is a big hit to you participating in the season. Absolutely. You pull a calf in a 162 game season, you miss three, maybe four weeks. If it's a bad pull, that hurts, but it's most of the time not going to be make or break for a team. If you have a guy who is an important member of a squad missed three or four weeks this year, I mean, you have to have someone step up big time to stay in the race. And Sam, I think it's interesting to see that most of the um, DL placements that we just mentioned are actually not COVID related, but it speaks to something larger, perhaps. I'm not claiming this to be fact, but I'm offering it as a, a potential explanation for some of these. With the abbreviated spring training that we had and kind of guys going zero to a hundred way faster than they're used to. Are we going to see more injuries, especially on the pitcher side? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's definitely a possibility and you know, this is all uncharted territory. So 
I think nothing uh, should seem like unexpected or out of the ordinary to us. Um, I, I will say that the fact that injuries are so consequential now is maybe an argument for having the, the, these expanded playoffs this year, which is that, you know, one guy going down for, for a month isn't going to stop a team that was like, was probably going to make the playoffs over a full season yeah. from making the playoffs this that's, year. That's true. And I think that's a, that's a good perspective to keep when we're talking about this because it's not like we're talking about these injuries that may be heightened because of COVID. They're not going to derail some of those top teams still. We're still going to see all the best teams in the playoffs. We're also just going to see some mediocre teams. Um, and for those of you keeping score at home, St. Louis just clinched that 5-4 game over the Pirates with a nice little 4-6-3 double play. Um, but Sam, COVID is prevalent in the MLB right now. And I think the biggest story that's come out recently has been Juan Soto. And of course, the interest is on Soto because he's this darling of the World Series last year, but he's also an amazing face for baseball right now. And he's an amazing, amazing player. The Nats on opening day had to hit Asdrubal Cabrera in the three hole, Sam. What are you yeah, supposed I, to do about that? Yeah. And, and I, we, I think I remember when we did the Nats in our season, in our NLE season sorry, preview. I'm sorry. It's worse. They hit Starlin Castro in the three hole. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the point stands is that we, we, we talked about how with the loss of Rendon, their lineup felt really shallow. Mm -hmm. And we see it day one. Yeah, and with the loss of Soto, like, oh boy, does the lineup look bad. And again, he he's he's by all, you know, by all reports asymptomatic, but he still needs to get two negative tests before he can play again. He just tested positive. You have to assume it'll probably be a couple of weeks between before he can get a couple of negative tests. It could even be a month. And then we're talking about, yep. you know, one of the brightest young stars in baseball missing half the season because of COVID. I think another thing that needs to be talked about. Well, and in the crowded NL East, Sam, I want you to get to your point, but in the crowded NL East, the Nats can't afford to lose that time. Maybe some yeah. other team in a different division can, but the Nats absolutely cannot. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's, it's a big hit to their, to their season. But I think there's another broader point, which I want to make about the, the Juan Soto COVID diagnosis, which is that, okay, yesterday we start hearing that Juan Soto is tested positive. He had taken the test two days earlier. He had spent the last two days with his team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This you know, is a great point. Playing in exhibition games. And, you know, I, I've, I've watched these guys. They're not social distancing. They're giving each other high fives. Like, you know, they're, they can very easily spread it to their teammates. Oh, yeah. And, you know, after he tests positive, the Nationals then went out and played a baseball game against yep. another baseball team, the Yankees. And I'm not saying that I think there's going to be someone else testing positive from, for COVID from the Nats or Yankees. Like, who knows? Right. It's just like, that is a major risk that we're already looking at in the very first game of the season. Mm -hmm. And stuff like this is going to keep happening, given that the testing is not immediate. Yeah. Like, there's going to be some information delay in finding out that people tested positive and they're going to have been with their teammates in the meantime. So, you know, hopefully we can just keep skirting the bad risks of this. But I, I'm worried that eventually there's going to be some transmission to a full team, and then they transmit it to another team in a game, and suddenly we, we see a, you know, a pretty bad situation in baseball. You know, it'll be ter you know, terrible for the health of the players, a, a real – a real terrible thing from that perspective, but it's also just going to look awful for the league. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to have to stop the season. So, so yeah, again, like we're literally seeing the, the challenges of this game one. So, and I think to your point, Sam, of transmission on the field, I'm literally watching in the Dodgers game, Chris Taylor run into a leaping Pablo Sandoval who lands right on top of him. And just for a second, setting aside the fact that having 700 pounds of Kung Fu Panda land on top of you would be incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable, their hands are touching each other. And Pablo's wearing a mask right now, but he wasn't when he went for the ball. You know, and their faces are next to each other and they're touching each other. It's an inevitable part of the game. But if the testing results aren't coming back fast enough and guys are still allowed to communicate 
um, connect with and be in the same place as their teammates, this could be really dangerous. So again, we'll have to keep an eye on it, but let's enjoy what we have while we do. So some news about real baseball players doing real things. Um, Matt Harvey, your man, the Dark Knight, going to Kansas City with my boy, Chance Adams, my high school teammate. So now they're both in the Royals uh, minor league system to start. Something tells me we'll see both of these guys at some point this year. Um, and that's good, you know, good for him. Yeah, and, and after after the, the Stroman injury news, although Mar- Marcus Stroman has come out and says he expects this to be a, a very minimal setback that he could he he feels he could pitch with the injury right now. Mm-hmm. I heard him uh, say he, that, but I don't believe him. Uh, I mean, this is a man who recovered from a torn ACL in like six months. Uh, I believe his recovery time will be short. I don't believe he could pitch right now. Otherwise, he would be. He is such a gamer. You can't take him off the mound. Well, I think I think what he said is that he you know he doesn't feel it while he's pitching, but if he tries to run, it, it's he feels it, but, and so who you know. Cares? So he wouldn't be able to, to field the position, which I think makes him feel like he can't go out there, especially a guy like Stroman. He's a great who, fielder. Who is Tremendous is fielder, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the, a, after his injury, a lot of Mets fans were clamoring for the Mets to, to sign Matt Harvey as their fifth starter. Thank God and they I, didn't. I, yeah, I think, I, 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 think I, I saw this Royal signing and, and thought, okay, thank you that, that you saved the Mets from, from their possible If selves. the Royals put him in the yeah. minor leagues, the Mets should not be starting him. That's all I can say. The other interesting thing I saw is Michael Fulmer. Ex first round pick, ex top prospect, ex rookie of the year, is now gonna and be- uh, and uh, ex Matt who was traded for you on a session. That's right. That's true. Who will be who will be talking about a bit more later in this episode? He is now he's recovering from TJ, so he couldn't get stretched out. They're now gonna play him as an opener and like a piggyback guy. So he's either gonna do the traditional like one two inning opener. Or he's going to throw four or five innings at a time and then piggyback with another starter. I, I, I just want to point out that you, you just used the term traditional opener. True. Traditional as of the last about year and a half. How, how fast is baseball being ruined by, the, by these these, by these analytical clouds? Yeah. Um, I think this is interesting because you've heard me talk about the possibility of piggybacking this year. I think it's a great thing that a lot of good teams will be doing. Um, and Michael Fulmer, I think in this role, you could see him flash like really nasty stuff over like two, three inning stretches because he's a great pitcher when he's on. Um, I almost went out and got him for my fantasy team, but I had to do a quick reality check since I know I'm the only one thinking this way. Um, but do keep an eye on him. I think he could be a really interesting player this year. Um, but you know, there's, uh, there's other news, but those are the ones we found interesting. If you guys want to hear about something going on. As always, please reach out to us on Twitter at the Alonzo Bet or email us thealonzobet at gmail.com. We're always listening. We're always throwing new things into the show. So with that, let's kind of go into opening day, baby. Last night and today have just been an absolute holiday for us. Sam, right off the top of your dome, give me some hits. Uh, well, I mean, let, let's start with the first game, which was, which was Yankees, Yankees Nationals and, you know, what a treat it was to to watch Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. Neither of them disappointed. That I mean, they 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 gave up some runs. Yeah. They gave up some home runs, but I mean, Cole somehow were, got tagged by Adam Eaton. I like turned to my girlfriend and I was like, "What's crazy is that he may only have six home runs this season." <laughs> yeah, but that's what. But, but they, they they were both absolutely nasty. Uh, Scherzer in in sort of normal form will gives up the first inning home run mm-hmm. and then strikes out every other person. He's like eleven guys and five in the third or five and two thirds something like that. Yeah, uh, and, and I was in the weird position in that game of actually rooting for the Yankees because you know, right, it, right. It, it's it's a sixty game season. You know, every every game counts, and the Mets gaining a, a half game on the Nationals, and it's going to be a, a game swing if they win or lose. Yep. That that could be a difference at the end. Yep, that could be a huge difference at the end. I'm totally with you. I actually was watching each game today with much more intensity. I already mentioned the Marlins-Phillies game. And when I saw the final, uh, I was just, by the way, uh, you have uh, Jesus Aguilar slugging homers for the Marlins already. If you are in a fantasy league where you think you lack power or you need a first baseman, he is a top waiver wire option because this is a guy who, don't forget, two years ago hit something like 35 bombs. And he could easily come back even in a bad Marlins park and keep hitting bombs. But to my point here, I saw that game and I said, what are you doing, Phillies? 
your only chance at winning the division or your only chance at going into the playoffs without needing the best record competing against some other really good teams is to beat up on the Marlins. If you can't do it, you're not going to win. And going out there opening day um, with, with Dusty, you know, chewing on a toothpick is not, Oh, sorry. He's in, he's in Houston, but going out there opening day with uh, ex MLB network host, Girardi. Joe Girardi, Girardi calling the yeah. shots. That's not a good look for them. Um, and because of how I feel about Joe Girardi, I'd be worried if I were a Philly fan. Their, their bullpen, uh, you know, it does, it didn't start off any better than last year. And it was bad last year, folks. I, I, I think they actually put Hector Neris on. By the way, solo home run from Cole Calhoun. Here's one thing about the Snakes. They never give up, okay? So it's 3-1 to one now, but they're into the bullpen. Who knows how this bullpen's going to well, be? Well, they didn't get to- uh, Top seven. And there's two outs. So that's just against Pagan. These, this, these guys fight. That's what I love about them. Um, but you're right, Sam. Every single game is going to count here. Um, and that's why, you know, big teams took care of business last night. The Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, as far as every, as far as every game counting, I was, I was talking to my dad on the phone after the Mets game today, and, and we were talking through it, and I was like, well, basically winning a game is like sweeping a series down. It's like a game's worth like slightly, three- slightly less, but yes. Yeah, slightly less, which when you think of it that way, you're like, oh, man, it's a disaster if you lose a game. Exactly. And – is a disaster, especially if you lose the game to the Marlins. So you saw the Dodgers start off slow. Um, I don't know if anyone was watching this. I don't know if you caught it, Sam. Johnny Cueto was putting on an absolute yeah. clinic in pitcher's deception. He was yeah. throwing quick pitches. He was doing his classic Louis Tiant need a second base. He was doing something in between. He was hitching with his arm before he threw. I mean – this is what used to make this guy so nasty is that he would do all that stuff and then fire amazing heaters up there with a great slider. He doesn't have that stuff anymore, but still the deception was enough to keep the Dodgers off guard for about four or five innings. Um, but then, you know, a good team looked at themselves with an experienced manager in Dave Roberts. We can say all we want about his postseason decisions, but he's a good enough manager in the regular season. And they came together and they were like, we're going to win this game. So Kike Hernandez blasted a homer. Corey Seager blasted a homer. Justin Turner somehow scored a miracle run for my fantasy team. And they come out with the win. That's what good teams do. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers of, you know, of any team that didn't need them to expand it to 16, uh, 16 teams, there's the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, man, Kike Hernandez's uh, mustache. Absolutely loving it. You're loving it. Well, in an ironic way. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, as a, as a facial hair aficionado – it's hideous, but I love that he's rocking it out there. Yeah, it's a look. It's a look. It's definitely a look. Um, so let's move into today. The first game of the day was your bread, and it was also your butter, Sam. It was the Mets, and it was the Braves. Why don't you just take us on a little journey? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, man, I was like – I had butterflies, like, starting at, like, 2 o'clock. Like, I had butterflies for the next two hours. Like, I was just so exciting for this game to start. Jacob deGrom, of course I didn't think he was going to disappoint because he never disappoints. No, he's a legend. But, oh, my God, did he, did he look good. And, and, honestly, I don't think he even had his control, like, where he's going to have it. Mm-hmm for the first, like, three or four innings. I think he started to have it in, like, the last inning he was pitching. And he could have – and I think if if they let him pitch more, like, he was only at 70 pitches when he went out. They were being careful because of the back tightness. Like, I think he could have gone seven, maybe even eight in a real game. And he could have easily struck out, like, five of the next six batters that he faced. Like, he was – you're right. He was on when he came out of that game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, he he made – Really good hitters like Ronald Acuna look silly, just like blowing by fastballs like mm-hmm. right down the middle past them. Uh, the only guy who looked like he was taking good cuts against him was Ozuna, and he still struck him out. Yeah, uh, Ozuna did. Ozuna also doubled though. Like Ozuna kind of was. That was off, that was off, uh, off Lugo though. Oh, you're right. You're right. Lugo actually didn't look great. Like he looked okay. No cause for concern, but he didn't look as good as he was last year in that game. Well, the, the, the fastball looked good and it played as usual. Uh, he, he really only threw one or two curveballs, which is his, which is his sort of 
elite breaking pitch yeah. and it didn't look like he had a feel for it. Um, but, but Lugo's talked about how the, his feel for his curveball sort of comes and goes and the, sort of a testament to how good of a, of a relief pitcher he is, is that he has this slider and changeup to go to. Whereas like other relief pitchers who didn't really have the same starter background as Lugo, if they don't have their, their elite breaking pitch, they could be in trouble. Right. But Lugo ha- has another strategy he can go He's to. He's got the full arsenal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the bullpen for the Mets of course was, was wonderful. Lugo pitched two. Wilson had a good inning and boy, did Edwin Diaz look good. Uh, when he walked Freddie Freeman, I was just like, Oh Jesus. Well, I texted is- you when that happened because I thought like, yeah, like this is kind of a nightmare because it was hard to tell whether he was pitching around him or like couldn't locate. But when you think about what he's doing, the matchup of like a guy like Freddie Freeman, who really controls the zone and who really punishes breaking pitches with Edwin Diaz is not nearly as favorable as the matchup of a guy like Marcelo Zuna, who swings as much as he wants and is easily fooled by diving breaking pitches, which is, you know, Diaz is a real weapon there. I was like, I could have intentionally walked him and I wouldn't have hated it. Yeah. I mean, like I, I'm not against being very careful with Freeman, but like the, the pitches look totally non-competitive. So it felt like he had just totally lost his control. Right, um, right, right, right. But, but yeah, but then, you know, the next two batters just blew them away. Looked awesome. I was very happy with it, but uh, okay. I think here's the storyline of this game. I made two bold predictions uh, before the season. <laughs> this game. One I got exactly right, which is that Yoenis Cespedes is a stud, and he's going to hit 12 home runs, hits an absolute bomb, only run the Mets score today. The second prediction I'm not looking so great on, because I'm a Mike Soroka hater. I predicted Mike Soroka <laughs> was going to have a, a four-plus ERA, and he pitched six scoreless, although I will say that he was tremendously helped by the fact that Ender Enciardi robbed a two-run homer by, by J.D. Davis. Yeah, and, and, and he ran down another really hard-hit ball by Nimmo, and Freddie Freeman turned two on that line drive by Jeff McNeil. Yeah, yeah. McNeil could have had three doubles. <laughs> yeah, McNeil legit McNeil could have been three for three with three doubles by yeah. the seventh inning or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I'm riding an absolute high from the Mets – the Mets winning that game like that's exactly how you want to see that game go uh I think the offense you know scoring only one run's not great but I think the guys were taking good at bats and and were a bit unlucky to only score Mm -hmm. one run um and the bolt the bullpen looked amazing but you know now the question is how's the rotation going to look past the ground because we knew Jake was going to do this and and the question's going to happen after it um but uh, I'll say that's a that's a great start to the three Pete. You can't have any hiccups in a twelve. If you're getting twelve starts, you can't have any start where you're giving up five runs. And that's one hundred percent true. I think. Yeah. Um, before we talk about some other games, I want to talk about some things that just happened here. Number one, I think it's worth mentioning that Carl Edwards Jr. has found his way into the Mariners uh, Astros game. So, if you were looking for Mr. Edwards Jr., you've now located him. Um, He has been on the back of a milk carton for the last number of weeks in the angels and A's game. The angels just got in a, what looked like a Joe Madden intentional little league rundown situation to try and score a runner on a like line drive to the outfield with the runner on second. They had Brian Goodwin run between the bases so that the runner could try and score. Of course, the A's are an incredibly good fielding team and snuff that out immediately. But if it was intentional, which I can't say, but it looks it looked impossible to do otherwise to me. Then you got to think this is definitely a new era in uh, Los Angeles. Well, really Anaheim uh, for the angels here, because they never used to do this under Mike Sosha. They never did this under Brad Osmus. This is a Joe Madden exclusive to try tricky things like that. And I think it's good that they have something new coming. Cause I need to see trout play some playoff games this year. And now's their chance. Yeah. Luis I mean, Robert yeah. with a double to right center field. He looks massive right now. Oh, so I was, I was just, I was just about to bring up Luis Robert or Robert, I think is actually. Oh, you're it. right. You're right. It is Robert. Luis Robert. Uh, first, first at bat of his, of his major league career was a uh, 115.8 mile per hour uh, single. An absolute laser. And this game actually is kind of interesting because 
it's Twins White Sox. Twins, obviously, the juggernaut in the division. White Sox, this up-and-coming team, and they were slugging it out for the first six or so innings. It was five to five. But then once the starters came out and the bullpens went in, uh, Ramon Laureano, by the way, with a home run now to tie up the Angels-A's game at 1-1. You just just spoiled that for me. Oh, I'm so sorry. My my stream's behind. I'm so sorry. Um, But – you know, once the bullpens came in, we saw why the Twins are really the division favorite and the White Sox are not, because I think the Twins do have a slightly better lineup. But the White Sox lineup is fearsome. It's very, very good. But at the end of the day, their bullpen depth is just so menial. They're, it's just way too weak to really compete with a team like the Twins, I think. Yeah, and as, as far as the, the White Sox lineup, though, the, the guys that you, you – if they're going to have a great season, you want to have a good start are are doing it. I mean – uh, Mancada hit an absolute. Oh, he's been on fire bomb, today. Yeah, bomb of a three-run homer. Eloy Jimenez having a hundred thirteen point six mile per hour double. I mean, the, these, you know, Robert Jimenez and Mancada. You know, those are the young stars you want. Mitch Garver uh, has has he done has he done anything uh, nice for the Twins? Let's see what let's see what Mitchy Two Sticks has going on for himself today. Because- because he's he's my most interesting player on the Twins this year. If he can sort of do what he did last year at, at out of the catcher position, I think he's you know you start talking about him as like a top twenty player in the game. This is interesting. MLB.com is actually not showing me their box score, so give me a second here. But while we look this up, um, I think that it is like important to know what Sam's saying. The Twins are already so good, and they do have these wild cards here of, like, what is a guy like Mitch Garver going to do? So today, Garver's 0 for 2, but he's knocked a run in, and he's walked. So he's finding a way to be productive, but they're happy to see a guy like Jorge Polanco, who they've moved to the three-hole. He has two hits today. Max Kepler, a guy who was good last year, but people didn't really know. He's got two hits, and maybe most importantly – Luis Ares and Jake Cave both have two hits. So they're getting help from a lot of places right now. And this speaks to their depth because they have other options in, in center field. It, his name and, is Byron Buxton. You, and you didn't even mention Nelson Cruz, who hit the most home runs ever by a 38-year-old last year and was like the fourth best hitter in baseball. Yeah, and, and, and Cruz is two for four today with a walk. Like he's just – he hasn't left anybody on base yet. Kepler has a home run today. And then, of course, and all, on the White Sox side go, – sorry, go they ahead. Also signed, they also signed Josh Donaldson, of course. Yes, and, and I mentioned him earlier. On the White Sox side, Moncada, yeah. Jimenez, and Robert have all doubled. So um, this is a really interesting game because it's a really interesting matchup, I think, for the season moving forward. Um, and, and I'd say the White Sox are, are a team that the 16-team playoff helps maybe like more than any other team. Oh, definitely, because they're – chances go from like i don't know 35 40 percent i don't remember what they were but they go up to like i mean 60 percent plus probably to make the playoffs like yeah probably probably even close to 70 uh i mean the, i'd say the 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 bottom of the al central is, is weak enough that you you start to think that you know the white Sox are you know they're pretty sure to be in the top three yeah in the division and and that brings you pretty close to the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I, as we talk about it, I, I'm sort of appreciating the 16-team playoff this year, like now that I'm feeling so excited about baseball. Right. That's how I, I feel. You know, and I, I feel bad saying it because I hate it as a concept for the regular season so much, and I'm so scared that this is like an attempt to get it in there. But I do secretly and uh, kind of in an embarrassed way love the fact that it's happening this year. Yeah. Oh, I want to make one more point. That I, I I forgot to make earlier when I was talking about the Mets Braves game, which is that I I've you know I've always about the universal DH sort of been like I don't really care right. like uh, take it or not take it like I don't hate pitchers hitting you know the Mets have had like some good hitting pitchers over the last few years so I feel like it's almost even given them a comparative advantage and I I had come to appreciate watching pitchers hit for my whole life so I. I had sort of felt like, oh, I kind of want to keep that. But now that Ioannis Cespedes hit that home run as a DH, I'm just like, 
why I don't want to watch pitchers hit. <laughs> I, I just I just want young assessments to be a DH. So, you know, it it took it took one game of the universal DH to convince me it's it's the right thing. So uh, Max Muncy just went yard in the Dodgers game for his second home run of the day, and so uh, that's dangerous. <laughs> if the Dodgers are just getting bombs from. Kike, if they're getting bombs from Corey Seager and Max Muncy, this is why this lineup is so dang dangerous because those guys all also work pitchers. But let's keep going around the diamond here. The second game of the day was Tigers-Reds. Oh, boy, was this bad news for the Tigers. It was also bad news for any of you clowns out there who wouldn't listen to me and thought Matt Boyd was going to be a huge win in fantasy this year. He goes five. He gives up four. He only Ks two. So if you're looking at him as like, oh, you know, he won't get a ton of wings. Maybe he plays for like a bad team, blah, blah, blah. But he's going to K a lot of guys. Not today, folks. Um, and It was also a big day for me, who was talking up the Reds before the season yeah. in our season preview, was telling us, everyone, don't take Sonny Gray for granted. He's going to go out and keep shoving. He was absolutely amazing today. Nine strikeouts in six innings. And oh, most importantly – for the Reds, at least in my opinion, Sonny Gray only gave up three hits. And then the Reds' bullpen, which is crazy, did not give up a hit for the rest of the game. They shut him down. I think every hit that um, – oh, no, no, no. Sorry, I'm thinking of a different game. Never mind. This was, uh, this was a really good game for the Reds. They, I mean, yes, it's a bad team. But to see Lucas Sims, Nate Jones, and Brooke Raley come out of the bullpen – K five or four guys in three innings give up no hits and only allow one base runner. They got to be happy about that because their I mean, bullpen but, is definitely not a strength. But you say, Hey, it's a bad team. But like we just talked about earlier about how the Phillies lost to the Marlins. So like, right. You know, beating the bad teams is what you have to do to make the playoffs when you're a fringe playoff contender. Exactly. So like, you know, it's, it's important to get wins like this. Another, and maybe this, another game to talk about, and maybe this is actually a good transition into talking about Aaron's fantasy team, is that Kyle Hendricks threw a complete game shutout for the, uh, for the Cubs today. Kyle Hendricks and, threw an absolute gem today. Please and, keep going. I just need he, to get that out. A, a, a doctor of pitching, a man who has been on Aaron's uh, fantasy squad for a few years running uh, in the keeper league, and then was also drafted by him this year in the, in the one-off season that they're doing for this season because he's such a believer in the man. And he sort of – he sees Aaron's confidence in him, and he says, I'm, I'm going to do it for you, coach. Exactly. That's he goes out there and absolutely shoves. He's just – he's so fun to watch. He's so fun to watch because he's a throwback old-school style of pitcher. It was, they were saying on the broadcast today, it's an interesting comparison because DeGrom did not throw a pitch, apparently, I, I, I wasn't counting, but they said DeGrom did not throw a pitch under 90 miles an hour for the whole game. Totally believable. Yeah, I mean, his, his slider and changeup are both well above 90, and I don't think he threw a curveball at that. Kyle Hendricks, on the other hand, did not throw a pitch over 90 miles an hour in the whole game. But That's it's, just wild. It's insane. But if you watch the way he's pitching, he had control of all four corners of the strike zone today. He could throw it up and in. He could throw it low and away. He could throw it low and in, and he could throw it high and away. He had literally everything he needed. And when you can use the whole zone like that, uh, Mike Trout with a K right now. Wow. When you can use the whole zone like that, it's, doesn't matter how hard you throw because you can keep hitters off balance. You can keep them guessing. And that's exactly what he did today and route to a complete game shutout over a pretty good team, honestly. And uh, yeah, I mean, ev everyone on baseball Twitter thought it was very funny to say that uh, Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole both threw complete games yesterday, but this is, this is the first, I'd say, real complete game of the season. Exactly uh, right. And, and yeah. I, let me say something to my fantasy heads out there, because I think we want to touch maybe one or two more games before we go into fantasy. But while we're on the topic, here's what I'm going to say. You're in, in drafts, you're looking for value. So 
the fact of the matter is Kyle Hendricks is not the best pitcher in the world, of course. He doesn't really get that many Ks. He, he did pretty well today, but he, in general, he doesn't get that many Ks. So he's not a great fantasy pitcher. But people extremely underrate how good he is at whip, how good he is at ERA, and how many wins he gets on that Cubs team. And for that reason, where he goes in most drafts, he represents so much more value than anybody else available there. And so I snag him up every time I can get him. And until everyone else gets wise, I'm going to continue to do so. Eh, you know, it's, it's worked for you. It has worked and I'm going to keep it going. So um, with that, I think uh, the only other games worth mentioning right now, of course, we already mentioned that the cards shut, uh, shut the door on the pirates late. I do want to point out that the Red Sox came out and made a statement today against the Orioles. Of course, we're going to have many people who say, who cares? It's the Orioles. Are, are they a major league team? Like, I mean, not really, of course. But at the end of the day, being able to put up 13 runs in the home opener does a lot for the psych. I mean, I, I hope they get the runs out now because they're playing the Mets in the next series. I understand why you hope that, but you have a manager who's now playing JD Martinez in the two hole and he goes three for five. He drives in three runs and scores twice. You have Kevin Pillar going three for five, driving in three runs and scoring Christian Vasquez two for three. This is a big day from some guys that they would really like to see play well. So for all of those people out there who've been super down on the Red Sox, including me, let's just see. Maybe it won't be that bad. I mean, and, and they're a team that, that switching to 16, game, 16 teams, that makes a huge difference as well. Absolutely. Because like, you, you certainly don't see them getting over the, the Rays and Yankees, but they could easily grab one of those seven or eight spots. Yep, absolutely correct. Um, so I guess with that, oh, no, sorry. One more, one more Rangers Rockies, a one, nothing win, an absolute duel between German Marquez or Herman Marquez and Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn, what, you know, where, how, how did this happen? Lance Lynn went six, struck out nine, and only allowed two hits. Sure, he walked four, but who cares? On the other end of the ball, Herman Marquez went five and two-thirds, gave up one run, and caged six. For the Rock, sorry, go ahead. Was this in Colorado or or Texas? Uh, It appears to be in Texas. And for the Rockies, who never had a shot until the postseason got expanded, now may have a shot. But probably I still don't think they have much of a shot. No, they don't, but they might. They have to feel good about Herman Marquez coming out there and throwing five and two thirds of one run baseball because he was a train wreck last year. Yeah, and two years ago he looked like he could have been one of the, the best young pitchers in the game. Wow. This is amazing. The only Rockies player with a hit was David Dahl, and he had three of them. No other Rockies player had a hit. And actually, what's even more interesting is the parallel in the Cubs game. For the Brewers, only one player had a hit. It was Orlando Arcia, and he had three. So this And he is, was in the nine hole, right? And he was in the nine hole. So this is yeah. an incredible anomaly. We have two games here where only one player on our team had a hit, and that player actually ended up having three hits. That is I don't know the numbers, but must be incredibly rare. Yeah, man, I'm so glad baseball's back. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. And Today has been so fun. No small part of the reason that it's amazing is that we now get to play fantasy baseball. So it's finally that time, folks. We've been talking about my squad for quite some time. And this year... Uh, and let, let me first make it clear to the listeners that I, I don't play fantasy baseball. So, so my enjoyment of fantasy baseball is purely through Aaron's team. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about his team with him. I just don't have the fantasy baseball. It doesn't quite do it for me. I feel like I, I can't get past the focus on like stats that I don't personally care about that much. Yeah, that's fair. And I, you know, I just don't have the attention span to, to do it every day. But I, I definitely like, like following Aaron's team. So with that, let's get to Aaron's team. So let me, let me give you guys the landscape here. So I play in a league, been playing in it for five or six years now. 
Um, it's a keeper league. We have a bunch of really random rules. Like we give out contracts instead of doing the traditional keeper format. So we have a certain number of contract years every year and it gets pretty complicated, but because of COVID this year, we decided to just say, forget our fan, forget our keeper teams. Let's put them on hold for a year and let's draft entirely new teams. And normally we play head to head categories, which means that every week you're matched up with another team in the league and you have a set of, you know, we have 13 categories and whoever wins more categories in that week gets the win. If you tie, you get a tie. So this year we said, well, there's really not enough weeks in the season to play like that. So we're going to play rotisserie. Rotisserie is a form of fantasy where your whole team's stats, you still have these categories. So for us, the categories are runs, home runs, RBIs, stolen bases, average, OPS, Ks, quality starts, wins, saves, ERA, and WIP. So you have all these categories, but your team's totals in each category are calculated over the entire season, and then your ranking against the rest of the league determines how many points you get. So for example, if I have the second most home runs in my league, I play in a 14-person league, my team gets 13 points. The team with the most gets 14. The team with the least gets one. And you do that for each category, and whoever has the most total points at the end wins. So this is an interesting format. And I'm just going to tell you guys my team. And Sam, you tell me how you feel about the players. Um, I'll tell you how I feel, and we can kind of go from there. So for the hitters, let's start there. At catcher, I have a hometown hero, Carson Kelly. This is a really, really thin position this year. So after I missed out on guys like Grandal, Gary Sanchez, JT Real Mucho, um, even a guy like Wilson Ramos, you know, after that, I'm basically saying I'm waiting towards the end of the draft. And out of the guys left over, I like Carson Kelly a little bit more than someone like Omar Narvaez, let's say, because I've watched Carson Kelly play. And I've seen him do it. I think he's going to hit for average. I think he's going to do an okay job hitting for power. Whereas Nervarez is definitely going to hit, you know, six or seven home runs this year, probably more. But he also could hit 210. So he scares me. Um, do you know anything about Carson Kelly, Sam? I mean, I know he's mediocre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't say you're wrong there. Um, but no. The catcher position, the catcher position, as you said, is quite shallow. So I, you know, I assume that most people are are not going to have a great option there. That's right. Then first base, um, I actually like freaked out a little on this pick. I really didn't want to take him, but I ended up with him. I have Anthony Rizzo. Um, and of course, because I was freaking out, he hit a bomb today. Um, and really... Why, why are you freaking out? Rizzo is going to be a good hitter every year. Well, I took him with my third overall pick um your third round pick my third third. sorry my third round pick which I picked last they said it was random but it's because I keep smacking them and so they put me in the last hole um so he was like the 42nd pick of the draft or something he was pretty late but uh, you know um I I don't love Rizzo's fantasy profile but he started me off with a homer and I needed some pop so um you know I like him there uh, the guy who I have at second base, Sam, we don't need to talk about because you, you push for him. Uh, I took Jeff McNeil. The only thing I'm going to say about him is that I did take both Jeff McNeil and DJ LeMayhew over some other options because in a short season like this, I value their positional versatility. They both can play three positions in fantasy. And with so many guys getting injured, I need maximum flexibility for plugging and playing players so I can use the waiver wire to its full potential. And I will, t- I, you know, I pushed hard for Jeff McNeil. I told Aaron, take Jeff McNeil, take Brandon Nimmo. They're the two Mets who I think are going to be undervalued. And he, he ended up taking both of them, you know, like a, a good boy. Like a good boy. I had to. <laughs> and uh, one thing I think that people are going to be sleeping on with McNeil this year is that he's going to give you some home runs. Yeah. He hit uh, 17 of his, of his 20. I'm counting on it of his 25 I think last year in the second half and I think it was it was a legitimate change in approach to find pitches that he felt he could attack and pull similar to what Murphy started doing in the end of 2015 Mm -hmm. that sort of poured over into his great 2016 season with the Nationals and you know I think he has such elite hand-eye coordination that he can sort of start selling out for power and still keep the strikeouts low 
and, and get on base. Well, not just elite hand-eye coordination, but he controls the zone fairly well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, at third base, I normally have LeMahieu, who I just mentioned. I took um, over Muncie because of the additional positional flexibility. Um, but he's injured, so I actually had Justin Turner play there today. He's already got two ribbies in the seventh. Um, I, I like him because presumably you still have Turner play somehow, even if LeMay, he's yeah, he's normally in my, in one of my utility spots, but this is crazy to me because Turner fell so far in this draft. I think I ended up with him in like the, um, the ninth round for me, like in rotisserie, he's still a guy who's going to hit a bunch. He's going to have a high average. And he's still going to be good for some bombs and a bunch of RBIs. He's hitting in an amazing spot in that lineup. Last night, they hit Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner. Like, is there a better spot to hit in all of baseball right now? I don't know. I don't think so. So I couldn't believe he fell so low. Um, and I was thrilled to take him there. Yeah, and Turner's a guy who I think people got a little down on because he had some slow patches to, to last season. But, you know... He he still had he still had a hundred fifty WRC plus in the second half of last season. Right. Like like he once he found it last season, he returned to the guy that he was. He's still definitely a good player. Yeah. Um, my shortstop was my first pick, so fourteenth overall. I took Trevor Story. Um, I was kind of sitting there um, between him and Trey Turner. At the end of the day, Trey Turner was going to have more steals, but I really liked. I think Story is an absolute stud. He's a stud. He's so good. So I have he, to take him. He's become un, he's become underrated, Trevor. Story. He has somehow because people yeah. were like, "Oh, year one is a fluke." Well, no, it's not because we saw it in year two, and then people are like, "Okay, year two is a fluke," and then he was better in year three, and like at this point, he's just a very, very good player. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of Rockies players get get written off because of the cores effect, but like these guys are still good players. I mean, look at DJ LeMahieu. Exactly. I mean, he got written off because of the cores effect. And then he got signed for nothing. And now he's a superstar. Yeah. Um, my outfield is Nick Castellanos, Justin Upton and Brian Reynolds. I waited. You, you, you love yourself some Justin Upton. I, I do because, and I'll, I'll explain that in a sec, but I just want to say I waited a little bit for the outfield. I got uh, Castellanos in the fifth round. But then I didn't take another outfielder until the uh, 11th round. And the reason for that is it's just so deep. And if there's going to be a bunch of waiver wire depth this year, it's most likely going to be in the outfield. But So I love Castellanos. Let me talk about Upton for a sec. Upton is old reliable, baby. You know what you're getting out of Justin Upton every single year because he's going to step up to the plate and he's going to do something, not exactly, but – right around 260 to 270 he's gonna slug anywhere from 460 to 510 and he's gonna knock in you know 90 to 100 runs and hit 25 to 30 homers every single year there is no exception unless he gets injured with like he did with his turf toe last year so for me in a shortened season i want reliability and i can't think of a more reliable fantasy player than justin can I can I burst your bubble a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Dan, Dan Zimborski, the creator of Zips, published an article, you know, last week about some of the some of the players Zips is projecting a possible collapse for. Uh oh. And and Justin Upton was one of those guys. One of, guys one of those guys that Zips sees as one of the most likely collapse candidates. Okay, well, I wish you hadn't told me that, <laughs> but. I, I hey, mean, my, I guess my, like, infatuation with him does have to run thin eventually. Like, he played basically 150 games every single season from 2011 until 2019, and he played 140 in the two years before that. So, basically, for 11 or 10 seasons, he was playing, like, 140 to 150 games a season. I, I guess at, putting up the production that I was talking about. So, I guess at some point, it does have to die down. Hey, but you draft, you draft him one too many times and one too few times. Oh, right? definitely. Especially, you know, in the 11th round. It's like, who else am I getting there? So Brian Reynolds is a guy who gives me flexibility to add some serious hitters on my team because although he was 0 for 4 today, he was facing Jack Flaherty who threw an absolute gem. And uh, he's going to hit 310 this year at least. Like, he, he's uh, a tremendous it, hitter. It, it has generally seemed from most of the games today, and it could be some bias of the fact that, like, eight, a lot of aces, aces were Aces are on the hill, yeah. 
but, but it did seem like the pitching was a little ahead of the hitting so far. Perhaps, but the long ball's still going. You know, we saw a lot of homers today still. It's an interesting look. So to round out the team, the guys who are kind of on the fritz, I would say, we have David Peralta, Jose Martinez, and Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo's looking like he's going to stick around. A quick two for four today. Um, really looked good at the plate. He was doing the Nimmo thing. He was controlling the zone, but he also was hitting for a little bit of uh, – with a little bit of oomph, I like to say. He, he, he smoked the balls he hit. They were line drives, yep. so they weren't like really home run things, but, you know. David Peralta hurts me because he's my guy – I hope in I hope every year that he's gonna do something, but he doesn't look good at the plate recently, and he's a really streaky hitter. In a sixty-game season playing Roto, I don't know if I can wait out his slumpy tendencies. Um, so we'll have to see on him. But certainly when he's playing well, he's a good player. And then Jose Martinez is a guy who I took last overall because I'm looking at him like, okay, he finally went to an American League team. This is a guy who did something like 350 against lefties over the last three years or something. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a good bat. He's got I'm, an amazing bat. I'm shocked you were able to get him so late. He's only owned in three percent of less than 3% of leagues on ESPN. Surprising. I mean, it, there might be some playing time concerns, but. Sure, but like guys are gobbling up Avisel Garcia. Like he's yeah. not going to play that much less than him. So, um, that's a guy who I probably will keep until I see what his playing time is, because if they find a way to slot him every day, he's going to be the steal of the draft. This is a guy who, honest to God, if he played every day, I know he doesn't hit righties quite as well as he hits lefties, but if he played every day, he probably could, in an 162-game equivalent, have 20 to 25 home runs, hit about 300, and slug close to 500. Like I'm taking that for my last pick of the draft every single day. All right. <laughs> that rounds out our hitters. I'm obviously excited about this. Give me a uh, go, go through your pitchers. Why don't you read me all your pitchers and okay. then I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. The hitters I like, I, I, I'll say, you know, I don't love, you know, I, I stayed my problems with Justin Upton. I love that you took McNeil and Nimmo. Of course. I love Martinez. I love story. Mm-hmm. I love Anthony Rizzo. The outfield. If I'm worried about one part of your team, I'm not as high as on Castellanos as you are. I'm worried about your outfield. But other than that, I you, love the team. you got to remember Nick is going to play in Great American Ballpark, which is like one of the five best hitters and, parks in baseball. And, and him being a, a terrible fielder doesn't really matter in, in fantasy. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I will mention Sam's seen my team after I drafted. There's been some moves already. Most of them center around Cole Hamels going to the 60 days, so I dropped him. I don't know. 60 days is the season. Um, yeah. So my pitchers right now, I have Walker Bueller. Blake Snell, Kyle Hendricks, who threw a gem today, Alex Colomay, Dallas Keuchel, Rich Hill, Josh James, uh, another guy, Drew Pomeranz, J.A. Happ, and Aroldis Chapman. Love love the top three. Yeah, I also love that. I think Rich Hill is, is a great little sort of, you know – Late late round pick to give mm-hmm. you a chance at, at some elite innings. Josh James could could be pretty good. I really like that pitching staff. Who is this other guy? Uh, so the guy I forgot to mention there is a uh, pitcher out of the south side of Chicago. I believe it is you pronounce his name Dylan Crease. I think it's I think it's Cease. Dylan Cease. Yes, I did draft Dylan Cease, um, and I know what you're all thinking. Okay. Yeah. But- and and actually think I, I don't know if our listeners heard last week's episode. There might be an audio clip of Aaron saying something like, There is absolutely no scenario in which I draft Dylan Seeds. Are you gonna draft him? Uh, my draft is on Sunday, folks, so stay tuned. Next episode you'll be hearing about it. Um, I am not going to draft we, Dylan Cease. We, we there is no possible permutation where I 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 draft. We might have to do a segment. But what, why did you draft this guy who you said you weren't going to draft? Okay, so here's what happened: is I was looking at my team in the 22nd round. So this is literally like the second to last round. 
I'm looking at my team and I'm saying, oh boy, I don't have a lot of starting pitching depth because I like Bueller, Snell, and, and Hendricks. I, I am pretty confident about Keuchel this year, but that's it. Because then I have Rich Hill and Josh James. Those are the only other guys I had on my squad at this point. And I don't like Josh James. Josh James could be in the bullpen. You know, he's kind of a, a boomer bust pick, which I had to at the point. But, like, he could easily be in the bullpen soon. Rich Hill's already day-to-day. Like, he's just going to be day-to-day every single year. He's not making his start tomorrow like he was supposed to. Um, and oh, like, I didn't even realize that. that yeah, like, that, he's just that, always that. scaring me. So I needed a starter. And he was the only guy who had the potential – to be somebody that I wouldn't find disposable on my team. Everybody else I could have taken there is somebody who I would have been quick to put on the waiver wire. Yeah. And so he is the only guy who has a chance because he has a great pedigree. He had a lot of success up until AAA. And I, I don't like him. I'm going to be honest. I don't like him. But I think if I coach him well enough, he might have a chance to really perform. Have you, have you gotten a bit of an email correspondence with him and you're going you're gonna to craft his arsenal a bit? Well, I got on the phone with him and I said, look, you got to throw that two-seamer. It runs quite a lot. I know you added the hammer this year. It looks really good from clips I saw. It looks really good. Yeah. Um, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, let, me, let me just say something else about the staff real quick. <clears throat> When Cole Hamels got injured, I added J.A. Happ because my friend who works for the Yankees says they won't stop talking about how good he looks. Uh, he's the first like, guy off this my is like fantasy insider trade. Yeah, it kind of is. This is the first guy off my team right now. He's the guy who is most expendable. But I do also have Drew Pomeran. So you may be thinking, well, he's not a closer. So what's he doing on your team? He's not going to get you saves. Here's my thinking right now is that for rotisserie, these guys who kind of can swing or pitch one inning, today, Drew Pomeranz, one inning, two Ks. Easy. Yeah. Like, if they get enough volume throughout the season, having them as steady eddies on your team and streaming guys is better than clogging up that spot with some random guy who's on the waiver wire. Like, if I wanted to replace him with a starting pitcher right now, I'd have to take somebody like Anibal Sanchez. Like so, I don't, saying, I don't want him. You're saying he could pitch five innings in a week and have nine strikeouts, and that's about as good as a start. And not give up a run, and then it's better than a start. Yeah, I yeah. just don't get the win or the quality start from it. But I think if I am smart with my streaming, and if I, you know, if my uh, my regular pitchers pitch well, um, then this could be a strategy that is dominant wow. over a sixty game season. Angelson Simmons almost just made an error. You don't see that often. You don't see that. I, I was watching that, but you don't see that all the time. So, you know, that kind of rounds it out. Um, with a roll this on the IL, I'm definitely short saves right now, and I'll be monitoring the waiver wire hard, as any good fantasy player should. Um, as soon as – oh, let me, let me plug somebody here who don't know me, but they saved my life in fantasy – Closer Monkey will send you emails whenever a team makes a change to their closing hierarchy. So my junk email account is constantly full of like Royals removing and Kennedy from the closing role, which like no one cares about, but I do because if a guy's about to get a bunch of saves, I'm going to pick him up until they cut him. Did you? There's did only you, a finite number of closers in the league. Does anyone in your, in your league listen to this podcast? You might've just given up your competitive advantage. Oh, that's a good point. They do, but I, I don't think I'll cut it. You know, I got to give them a chance to win something. All right. All right. Well, you know what? The, the team sounds good, Aaron. I, I, I hope the best for you. Thank you. I, I, I care a bit more about a DeGrom three-peat than your three-peat, but, but you're close. I understand. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that's, that, that's sort of as far as we wanted to go on the opening day episode. Uh, you know, sorry if it was just a rapid fire uh, outburst of, of our excitement about baseball, but we're really excited. Um, we are really excited. And but, you know, next week we'll try to we'll try to come up with maybe like talk about some interesting performances from the first week. 
there's not many trends we can really talk about yet. It's been one game for everyone. No, but we'll talk about some storylines going on, and we'll talk about how some players are playing. We'll pick some interesting things. And, of course, we'll bring back our stat corner. We'll give you guys another stat, and we'll apply it to how games are being played right now. So please stay tuned. Uh, make sure you're coming back and listening. Now that the season started, we don't only have theoretical and high-level takes. We're talking about real games and the way that numbers – analytics and logic can affect the play on the field um so please come back if you want to hear something or see something find us on twitter at the alonzo bet or email us the alonzo bet at gmail.com and please remember to subscribe to the podcast leave reviews if you like it and with that we are signing off i am sam and i'm aaron thanks for coming